0: The following program is proudly supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. Did you know that even if your phone is secured in a phone holder, you can only touch your phone to make or receive a phone call? For
1: audio playing functions, or for using a driver's aid, such as GPS navigation. It's not worth it. Get your hand off
0: it. the road safety in focus journey today I'm having another informative and educational discussion with New South Wales Police Traffic Sergeant Mick Todd who has kindly accepted my invitation and is joining me in the 2 FM studio once again. Sergeant Todd thank you for joining me again on road safety in focus.
1: Thank you it's good to be back.
0: Sergeant, the last time you were here, we had a very intensive Q&A session addressing a wide range of little-known, misunderstood road rules and road-related offences. You'll be pleased to know we received some amazing feedback from many of our listeners who were left craving more of the same. So today, while not quite as broad as the last session, I do have another Q&A session prepared, but this time focusing on two specific areas, one being school zones and some of their relevant rules, and the other being rules relating to child restraints so sergeant i'm pretty sure you've come well prepared to answer all the questions i could muster up about each of these areas so shall we start
1: yes ready to go
0: perfect now beginning with the first of the two topics and one that police are frequently asked about child restraints until what age do children need to use a car seat in new south wales
1: I'll point out firstly that the guidelines are national guidelines, not specifically limited to New South Wales. So they are Australia-wide no matter which state you go to.
0: That's interesting to
1: know. So as part of the guidelines, uh, they indicate that a child up to the age of seven years old must be secured in a forward-facing and approved child restraint with an inbuilt harness or approved booster seat.
0: Very nice to know that these are national guidelines, because I think a lot of people might assume that these guidelines may change from state to state or state to territory. So can you then provide us with a clear breakdown of approved child restraints or car seats and explain which of them is suitable for different age groups up to the age of seven?
1: Okay, so uh, children up to the age of six months have to be secured in an approved rearward facing restraint. So that means that they're facing towards the back of the car.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: From then on, six months to the four years mark, the guidelines say that you can be secured in either a rear or forward-facing approved child restraint with a harness. So mm-hmm. a lot of that depends on the uh, the size of the child that's gonna go in the seat and how they fit in that seat. Mm-hmm. And lastly, then it's got from uh, the age of four years to seven years old to be in an approved restraint with inbuilt harness or an approved booster seat. So when they say an inbuilt harness, it means there's a seat belt inbuilt into the car seat that you buy, oh. in addition to the one that's already in the car.
0: All right. Thank you so much for explaining that, because many people may read that on various websites and wonder what is meant by an inbuilt harness. Yeah.
1: When I say inbuilt harness, that's what it refers to. Yeah.
0: All right. Wonderful. So basically, the new category is the one from four to seven, because previously, there wasn't that category that needed to use um, a Correct. restraint or a booster seat. So yep. this is where the changes have really been made in recent years. Now, what should parents do if they feel that the type of child restraint specified for their child's age is too big or too small for them? So let's say you have a one-year-old who's you know, a little bit too tall for their age, for example, or too small for their age.
1: So a lot of the time, the child seats will have an age guideline when mm-hmm. you buy them. And based on that age guideline, you can make adjustments to the rear headrest for those seats and adjust to the shoulder level of the child. So most of them will give you an age range, um, which they've obviously tested Mm -hmm. a couple of times. And so if you've got a child seat that's an age range, say from six months to four years, the seat should allow you to make adjustments to the shoulder height for the headrest Mm. for that child up to that age range.
0: Right. Yeah. Now, how can parents know if their child is ready to use a normal seatbelt?
1: So the guidelines, again, uh, give a suggestion of once they reach the height of 145 centimetres, uh, that they should be okay to use uh, what's called an adult lap sash belt. So that's referring to the normal seatbelt. Uh-huh. Again, the reason for that is that at the height of the seatbelt in the car in relation to the child, uh, that's deemed more appropriate. And uh-huh. it's, uh, it's all about safety.
0: So. Yeah, and I would imagine having them sitting in a seat of the car that has the actual across-the-shoulder belt rather than just the middle lap belt.
1: Yes. Um, some cars do, so the centre Sometimes, seat... Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, will have just the lap sash. Yeah. Uh, so once they reach that height, it's suggested that that should be fine as well.
0: Right. But there is a specific test that they can do to see whether or not their child can sit in that um, position safely and have that seat belt actually... Protecting enough of their body to graduate to that stage? Of course,
1: yeah. Um, it's preferred to have the, the one over the shoulder mm. once they reach that height, if possible. If not, well, then the lap sash is fine in that situation.
0: Now, what happens if a seven year old does not meet the criteria to move into a normal seat belt?
1: So, if that's the case, it's strongly recommended that a, a forward facing seat with a harness or an approved booster seat with a child safety harness in conjunction with the vehicle seatbelt should still be used. Again, People develop and grow in different stages, so to progress it through uh, when they're ready, that's fine.
0: All right. Now, child restraints are legally required to be attached to an anchorage point designed for a child car seat. Does the same apply to booster seats?
1: So with booster seats, a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they don't necessarily have to be anchored. Mm -hmm. But again, it depends on the car you're using. So latching the seat in the right place using the vehicle's seat belt is sufficient, mm-hmm. but um, you'll, you'll find that a lot of the booster seats won't have an anchor point or um, somewhere to you can anchor it to the actual car. It's designed to use the yeah. seat belt that's inbuilt in building the car.
0: So, just to clarify, that with booster seats, it's okay to just use the normal seat belts that are fitted to the car to strap them into place whereas with an actual child restraint for a child who's younger than four years that child restraint would need to be fitted with something other than the normal seat belts it actually needs to be anchored
1: that's with correct like a yeah. bolt
0: or something yeah. like that
1: so it's believed once they progress to the booster seat that mm. they're a little yeah. bit um bigger in size and that, that the booster seat just gives um them a little bit more height so that the actual seat belt in the car can work effectively for them.
0: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Now, uh, in which situations may children be exempt from travelling in a car seat or a booster seat?
1: So generally, there's no exception. Again, it's in relation to the child's size and how the vehicle seat belt is designed to work. Right. If they're too small, the seat belt won't work efficiently with uh, over the shoulder or a lap sash arm. Um, again yeah it's a guideline but it's for their safety as well okay
0: what if for example a child had some sort of a health condition or a particular disability that would prevent them from sitting in a booster seat or a child restraint is there anything that parents can do about that yeah
1: definitely um it would need something in writing from a, a doctor or a medical profession okay um just outlining the reason why and that's sufficient enough
0: okay So that's good to know. We do
1: we do understand that even with adults there are some occasions that because of a medical condition that they can't wear it. But as long as there's some document from a doctor or a medical Mm. professional outlining that Mm. and the reason, usually the RMS will grant an exemption. So that's good too.
0: That's good to know. Because yeah, sometimes you may even have, like you said, adults who for certain reasons they may have had surgery and they're not able to use a seatbelt across their body for that reason rather than being caught out
1: (laughs) yeah that's exactly right yeah that's a perfect example
0: yeah Yeah. are there any situations where a child may be allowed to travel in the front passenger seat and do they still require a car seat in that case
1: all right so for this one uh children aged between four and seven cannot travel in the front seat of a vehicle which has more than two rows so what that means by two rows is you've got the front seats Mm -hmm. and then you've got the in a normal sedan you've got the rear seats you've got your larger cars like your vans will have a third row in the back so if there's two or more rows they can't travel in the front seat Mm -hmm. but in saying that if all the other seats in the car are occupied by children under the age of seven then that is fine
0: okay so let's say as an example somebody has a ute and they want to take their child somewhere, then in that case they are able to sit because there are no other available seats that are further back in the car.
1: Correct. In terms of utes, um, the younger child seats, the rearward facing, can't be used in utes, Mm -hmm. and a lot of it has to do with the airbag, which is on the passenger side of the car. With your booster seats, they can be fitted to the front seat, but um, again, as long as they're fitted properly, that's okay. Okay.
0: All right, so it's good to know, again, that if the back seats that would usually be for the child are occupied by other children who are also under seven, and the front passenger seat is the only available seat that's in the car, then it is permitted for them, and they don't need to use a booster seat in that case.
1: So I'll give an example to make it a bit easier. You might have a family of four children in a normal five-seat sedan, so they're all under the age of 7 Mm-hmm. It would be preferred to the younger children of those four to be seated in the rear seats mm-hmm. or the second row of the car. Right. And giving the older child the preference for the front seat. Uh, again, based on the guidelines, if they're between four and seven, mm-hmm. a booster seat is preferred. All right. Uh, but then if they're over that size of 145 centimetres, then they're okay to use the car's seat belt.
0: Okay. That's crystal clear now. What penalties apply in the case of a child or children found to be travelling without a car seat or in the wrong type of car seat or facing the wrong way or with even part of their body outside the restraints of the designated car seat?
1: So any action taken by the New South Wales Police Force is by a fine or a ticket. And the fine ranges from $352 in loss of three demerit points Uh, For each child, that is not restrained.
0: For each child, so it's not an all-in-one...
1: No. So, again, an example, if um, Mm. two children in the car, if they aren't properly restrained as per the guidelines, then that is two separate offences.
0: Yeah, I think that's not something that many people would have taken into consideration.
1: And it does become a bit worse during public holiday weekends. Double when demerits. the double demerits come into play. So yeah. it does become quite costly in terms of demerit points on the licence. So then you get license. like three
0: demerit points lost for each of those children. Correct. Yeah, that's an ouch. So that's a real ouch.
1: Things we do look for are the age of the child, that they are in an age-appropriate seat and that the seat is an approved, whether it's just a child seat or yeah. a booster seat. Usually they'll have a Australian Standard sticker or yeah. marking on the side of the seat. That's what the things we look for. We do understand that at times some children wriggle out of their seats, and it's um,
0: they have a knack for those types yeah, of um, things.
1: We we do understand that <laughs> happens, and it's in that case it's more of a, a situation of uh, some education and mm. and maybe some adjustments to that seat so we can assure that doesn't happen again.
0: Caution would be
1: um, yes um, due
0: in that case because sometimes it can be a little bit even if you do realise that your child has made their way out of their child seat or taken their hands out of the restraints, let's say, it's not always uh, possible to stop immediately to rectify the situation. You may no. be on a single lane road or on a freeway or, you know, any of those situations exactly where right. it's not always possible to stop immediately and fix that problem.
1: Yeah. Again, that's a perfect example. So we do understand, but we do look out for these things, that it's mainly that the child seat is age appropriate and mm-hmm. it is secured correctly to the car and that they're wearing it correctly
0: all right well that covers then the first part of our q a and i think we've pretty much answered all the possible questions there are to answer surrounding child seats and restraints we'll move to the next part and this is where things get really interesting i would assume school zones sergeant todd apart from the reduced speed limit what other rules apply in a school zone
1: so with your school zones, it's uh, it's like any other road in New South Wales. All the road rules apply, although there is a reduced speed limit. All your stop signs, giveaway signs, parking offences, they all apply in that zone, um, regardless of the zone time. So
0: Yeah, after yeah. all, it's a road like any other.
1: Exactly right, yep. mm.
0: To the next question, which common driving offences attract higher penalties and additional demerit points in an operational school zone?
1: So the most common one we come across is speeding. And if you're caught speeding in a school zone, the fines and the demerit points are increased from a normal offence. Mm. Uh, Demerit points increase by one, and the fine increases anywhere between $100 and $200, depending on the offence. Again, this is the same for your traffic light offences, your stop and give way Mm. at intersection offences and crossing offences. There's an extra point and the fine is increased.
0: All right. And in terms of mobile phone offences? Same thing. They're quite heavy as they are.
1: Yes, yeah. The heaviest that we have, I think, in terms of a
0: single offence. So, yeah, a
1: lot of offence categories will have um, a school zone Mm. as well if someone is detected breaking the road rules in that zone, yes. All
0: right. So here I actually had a bit of a shoot-off question from this, and only because I've noticed it on a number of occasions myself where you may know that there's a particular school zone in an area, but you're coming out from a side road and you're entering that stretch of road where there's a 40 zone, but see, usually school zones are marked at the beginning and then marked at the end. Correct. And anybody who enters midway into that school zone really doesn't have any way of knowing that they're in a school zone. So would they need to prove that they just came out of a side road and they didn't know that it was a school zone or...?
1: would take that into account, Mm -hmm. but uh, generally people on those roads will use them a lot Mm. and are quite well aware that the school is there and that there is a school zone and that they are in a school zone time. Again, most will have the road markings and signs leading Mm. into that. I'm not sure of any that don't. But um, if that is the case, yeah, we do take that into account.
0: Yeah, because I have seen a number of side roads turning onto a stretch of road where there is a designated school zone and not realising, because sometimes when you come out of a side road, you don't even, the landmarks change for you a bit. Like you may usually know that that's a school zone if you were travelling in the one direction from start to finish on one stretch of road. But coming out from a side road, sometimes you don't register that this is the section that's actually a school yeah, zone. I agree, yeah. Yeah, it's probably something that I don't know who's responsible for uh, this kind the, of thing. The, uh, uh,
1: the council, I think, council? will be for most, mm-hmm. but um, most of the time there should be at least a sign. Right. But yeah, we, we do understand that coming from a street with no markings or signs, it, it may happen, yes. Yeah, because
0: yeah. you do come into that middle section of the school zone where you've just missed the sign yeah. at the beginning and you only kind of realise when you see the end sign you go oh that was a school zone yeah all right so what kind of parking related offences commonly take place within school zones so you've probably seen a lot in your line of work
1: yes um, the most common one we come across I'll say on a daily basis is uh, stopping in a no stopping zone Mm. that's the most common one usually those spots are out the front or very close to the school gates. Um, So they attract a a penalty of $352 and two points. The second most common is uh, disobey a no parking sign. Again, $196, two points. And the third most common is uh, people stopping on the crossings in a school zone, like a pedestrian crossing or a school crossing. And and this one's quite Mm -hmm. common. Yeah. And that attracts probably the heaviest fine out of them all. It's just four hundred and sixty-nine dollars and two points. That's oh, wow. all. Those school zone parking offences do yeah. carry demerit points as well. Because they have
0: more, associated safety risks.
1: Yeah. Whereas in a normal situation, they wouldn't. Mm. But the school zone ones do carry the demerit points. Yes.
0: Yeah. And uh, like you mentioned, it's higher for the parking in a no-stopping zone because in a no-stopping, you're usually not allowed to stop at all, not even to drop off or pick up anybody, whereas you can probably do that in a no-parking zone. Yes,
1: you're you're correct there. The no-parking is there, so a limit of um, two to three minutes to drop off and pick up, whereas the no-stopping is, as the name suggests, no stopping at all.
0: All Right. So then are there any others that you can think of that people might do other than stopping and a no stopping or a no parking? The,
1: sorry, yeah, <laughs> that bus zone is one, yes. Um, generally, they're the main ones out, out the front of the school gates and either side, people picking up and dropping off kids. Definitely the main ones there, yep.
0: Double parking? Yes, yep. Also in relation to parking, and this is a question that we got from one of our listeners, is it illegal for someone to park in a driveway or cut access to a driveway in a school zone? Okay.
1: So, generally, um, you shouldn't park in someone else's driveway or across someone's driveway. Uh, it's just a, a general courtesy.
0: It's common sense.
1: <laughs> yes. However, um, some people do. And more often than not, if they park in a driveway, they may inadvertently park across a footpath. Where that's the case, there is a fine and demerit points in relation to that as well. So
0: Parking on a footpath. Yeah.
1: It, because you block a path for pedestrians...
0: So even if you're not directly on, say, a footpath, but like the part of the driveway that intersects with the footpath, even that would be considered an offence. That's important to clarify because a lot of people wouldn't realise that this is actually now a footpath. They would consider it more of a continuation of a driveway.
1: Correct. Um, And the fine is quite steep. It's $352 and a loss of two demerit points. So.
0: So it these is, um, are all um, attracting demerit points as well. Yeah,
1: um, and then the main reason for that is for safety.
0: Now, apart from the signage marking the beginning and end of a school zone, should drivers be aware of any other road markings which may indicate that a specific stretch of road is part of a school zone? You may be travelling in a middle lane and you've got a big truck travelling on your left where you'd usually see a school zone sign. Is there any way to tell that this is a school zone without actually seeing the sign or the flashing lights?
1: So all school zones, once you approach the area, will have a, a 40 marked on the road, mm-hmm. and that'll be in black writing in a yellow box. It'll always happen.
0: Right.
1: And then following that, there'll be a series of white triangles. I call them shark's teeth. On either side, on the left and right-hand side of the lane you're travelling in. So each lane, say it's a two-lane road, mm-hmm. each will have a 40 marked on the road and each of them will have a series of the shark's teeth on the lane leading into that zone.
0: That's good for people to know also because they may see those triangles and not know why they're there or what they mean.
1: That's it that's the reason why they're there.
0: All right that's good to know. Now if a school zone happens to fall within a 30 kilometre zone what is the maximum speed that drivers can travel at?
1: So with your 30 kilometre an hour zones um it's not terribly a lot around, um, but one example I think of is in the uh, Liverpool area, the yeah. CBD there. Yeah. I know that is 30 kilometres an hour. Uh, so if this is the case, then the lower speed limit is the one you should be travelling at. Okay. So if it's uh, you're travelling in a school zone, during school zone, say, 8.30. Mm. Uh, if it is normally a 30-kilometre-an-hour zone, every day of the week, the 30 kilometres applies to that. And that's more for your high volume pedestrian areas, like your mm-hmm. shopping centres, malls, stuff like that.
0: Right. I haven't personally driven through any 30 kilometre per hour zones, but I would be curious to know if the school zones there would be marked as a school zone, they just wouldn't have the 40 sign. It would just be yeah. the 30 kilometres I that think case. there would
1: still be a flashing sign and, yeah. and some road markings um, indicating that you are entering that zone. Yeah. But the lower limit would apply during that time.
0: Yeah. So what happens if a driver is caught committing more than one driving offence in an operational school zone?
1: So for this one, if there's more than one offence, uh, multiple tickets can be issued. Usually we issue up to about four at any time. Uh, if there's an occasion where there are more than four offences, it will result in a, um, what we call a court attendance notice. So you'll have, oh. to, have to go to court.
0: Right.
1: Again, it depends on the situation, but mm. that could
0: Uh, Any situations where you might immediately suspend someone's licence on the spot?
1: Not for any school zone Mm. particular ones, perhaps maybe for your excessive speed offences, that can happen.
0: Right. The other question that pops to mind in terms of, I've been using the term operational school zone when I've been referring to any of the offences that are committed within a school zone Is there any difference between, you know, offences committed in an operational school zone or a non-operational school zone, so outside of those hours?
1: Yeah, so a lot of that, it'll be the same offence. So I'll give you an Mm. example, is a um, parking and no stopping zone. That will apply to that spot every day of the week. But again, if it's during the school zone, the only difference is the increase in the fine, the demerit points added for that offence.
0: Okay. That's good to clarify as well, that um, during those school zone hours or not a school zone hour, they still basically have all the same road rules as any other roads. Correct. Um, But in particular, during those operational hours, that because there's the added safety risks of people doing the wrong thing, then usually there would be a higher penalty for those kind of offences. Correct. Correct.
1: A stop sign is still a stop sign. But Mm -hmm. then if it's in a school zone during school zone hours, then that's the only
0: difference. Right. Sergeant, is there anything in relation to either child restraints or school zones that we haven't covered in our Q&A today that you might want to add at this point?
1: I'd just like to add um, that if anyone has any further inquiries about your um, child restraints and seats... There's two websites that give a lot of good information that Mm -hmm. that I use all the time to answer a lot of questions I get over the phone. Uh, The first one is www.roadsafety.transport.nsw.gov.au and the second one is Mm www.childcarseats.com.au All right.
0: Do you know if any of that information has been translated into languages other than English at all? No. No.
1: I'm not sure of that, but it'd be good if it was. Mm -hmm. Um, But the same information that I provide or Mm -hmm. guidance that I provide is based on the information from those websites Mm -hmm. uh, and, again, their national guidelines for child car seats.
0: Right. So who do you think in that case would be a good place to turn to for those people who May not be too confident with their English skills and want that kind of information and want something reliable, who would they go about calling to get that clarification?
1: I think the RMS may have the facilities to do that. They have a lot to do with the road rules and um, do provide a number of services for people of different languages Mm -hmm. to help understand.
0: They may be able to arrange an interpreter um, Um, on the phone or something. Again,
1: there might be an option on that side, but I don't know of it.
0: All right, not a problem. New South Wales Police Traffic Sergeant Mick Todd, that was one very educational and eye-opening Q&A session. Thank you once again for coming in today and for the valuable contribution you've made so far to our series Road Safety in Focus.
1: No worries, thanks very much.
0: A pleasure as always. About half of the fatal crashes involved a driver or rider engaging in at least one of the identified unsafe road user behaviors of speeding, drink driving, drug driving, seatbelt non-usage, or illegal mobile phone use. Think safe, drive safe, arrive safe.